You are listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. Second Samuel chapter 19. Seems like it's been a while since we've been in Second Samuel. I uh, was out of town, of course, in the Israel trip, and then I had a, had a couple weeks there that I wasn't physically able to be here, and then we had our prayer time last week, so I um, can't remember last time we were in Second Samuel, but we'll be picking it up here tonight and continuing our journey through Second Samuel. We'll be looking at chapter 19. We're going to see here David coming back to the kingdom, the return of the king. You'll remember our setting in this passage. We, um, we know that Absalom, David's son, had a rebellion against David wanting to take over the kingdom for himself. David had to flee for his life, and a, and a good group of people that were loyal to David went with him, but, but Absalom pretty much took over and uh, established his rule there in Jerusalem. But then Absalom pursued after David, and of course we know that he was defeated in battle. David's armies and men prevailed. Absalom himself was killed in battle, and David's forces were victorious. But as in chapter 18, David, after this victory and all that's been, been won, David learns also that his son, Absalom, was killed during the battle. And so David, although he is a king, now victorious in battle, he is also a father who has lost his son. And this conflict uh, becomes very real for David. Pick it up with me now. And verses 1 through 8. And Joab was told, Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard it said that day, The king is grieved for his son. And the people stole back into the city that day, as people who are ashamed steal away when they flee in battle. But the king covered his face, and the king cried out with a loud voice, O my son Absalom, O Absalom my son, my son. Then Joab came into the house to the king and said, Today you have disgraced all your servants who today have saved your life, the lives of your sons and daughters, the lives of your wives and the lives of your concubines, in that you love your enemies and hate your friends. For you have declared today that you regard neither princes nor servants, for today I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died today, then it would have pleased you well. Now therefore arise, go out and speak comfort to your servants, for I swear by the Lord if you do not go out, not one will stay with you this night, and that will be worse for you than all the evil that has befallen you from your youth until now. And then the king arose and sat in the gate, and they told all the people, saying, The king, uh, there is the king sitting in the gate. So all the people came before the king, for everyone of Israel had fled to his tent. So David is conflicted. His forces have won the battle, but he's lost his son, and he's overwhelmed with emotion for the loss of Absalom. Now, Absalom was a traitor. Absalom would have killed David. Absalom was trying to kill David. And yet David, as a father, still grieved the loss and all that had taken place in his son's life. And 
so the people that had laid their life down for David, men that had gone out to fight for David and battle for him to save his kingdom, now they feel this conflict as well. It's like, you know, we thought we were doing the right thing, but now David is grieved over the loss of his son. Uh, You know, we have sons too. We put our lives at risk as well. And this son of his was a rebel and a traitor and trying to kill us all and kill and take the kingdom And so it just kind of put them all into this grief. They were ashamed. They should have been rejoicing in victory, but instead they felt the sense of guilt and shame uh, because their king, their leader, was mourning. And the thing is that David, even though he was a father and there would be a time for mourning, he also had a responsibility, a ministry, if you will, of being a king and being a leader of God's people. God had entrusted that to him. You may remember the story of uh, Moses and his brother Aaron when they first began the ministry within the tabernacle and the priesthood. Aaron's two sons brought strange fire before the Lord. They were priests uh, of the, you know, along with Aaron. But because they brought a, something improper into the holiness of God, they, were bo- they both died because they brought this strange fire before the Lord. And the Lord spoke through Moses to Aaron and saying, don't grieve your sons. Both his sons died right there in this tabernacle ministry. And the Lord said, do not grieve or mourn your sons, but continue your ministry as priesthood, priest before the people. There'll be a time for you privately to mourn. There'll be a time for you to grieve, but don't show that now before the Lord. The Lord is executing his will. The Lord is has accomplished this demonstrating his holiness before the people, don't you now act sorrowful before the people as though the Lord has done something wrong to you. And in a sense, that's kind of what David was struggling with. God had given him victory. God had protected him. God was restoring him back to the kingdom, but he was acting as though he was emotionally moved and overwhelmed and he needed to rise up. And Joab, in this case, gives him good advice that you need to step forward as your leader, in your leadership as the king. So he goes out into the gate. What that simply means is he made himself publicly available for the people. The gate of the city is where uh, this would take place. And when the people saw him there, they came out, they, they, were, they fellowshiped with him there, and it kind of reestablished the kingdom for David moving forward. And I do believe that, you know, just in considering our own walk with the Lord, We do have a responsibility in terms of witness, in terms of ministry, and there will be times when the Lord may require of you service or ministry or uh, living for him that would actually require certain personal sacrifice and even uh, pain and loss. It does not mean that we cannot grieve the loss of loved ones, and and that's not the point here, but there's also a ministry aspect. There's a witness that David had, a responsibility to whom much is given, much is required. You know, I think that uh, as we live just in our current generation, there's a lot of things to be afraid about. There's a lot of things to be concerned about, a lot of uncertainty politically and in the world today, but we as Christians, I think we have a certain responsibility to to live in hope and to live in faith and not to be anxious and worrisome and not to join in to the fear and the anxiety that so many even in our culture are stressing over and 
It doesn't mean that we don't have those moments. It doesn't mean that we don't have those concerns in our private praying with the Lord, but a certain kind of responsibility to represent what the Lord has done in our hearts and lives as we live out in our calling and in our ministry. The Apostle Paul said this in Acts 20. You don't need to turn. Let me just read it to you. Acts 20 and verse 24, when, he, when it was told to him that there was going to be some trouble ahead for him in Jerusalem, he said, none of these things move me. Listen to this. Nor do I count my life dear to myself, that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. There is a certain requirement that we would not count our lives dear to ourselves because there will be time in living for the Lord and walking with the Lord where his kingdom, his will, will have to prevail. Jesus said in the garden, not my will, but thine be done. And I think that all of us will have those crossroad moments in our life where God will be saying, you know, are you going to obey me? Are you going to keep my kingdom, my calling, my priorities, even at, even at a sacrifice unto yourself, even at, at a time when it might be convenient for you to just retreat and, and give up or, or sulk or mourn? And so David finds himself in this place. He has to step back into that role that God called him to. And before he can return to the nation, as we see here, really David had to return in his own heart to the ministry. I've lost a son. It's a terrible thing. He would no doubt mourn it for many, many days. Maybe the rest of his life there would be a grief. But today, now is the day I have to step back into the ministry that God's called me to. I've got to be faithful. I've got to run, as Paul said, I've got to finish my race with joy. Let's read on here and we see what takes place in the kingdom as David now sets his heart to return. Verse nine, now all the people were in a dispute throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying the king saved us from the hand of our enemies. He delivered us from the hand of the Philistines and now he has fled from the land because of Absalom. But Absalom, whom we anointed over us, has died in battle. Now, therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing back the king? So the people were confused. There's this disruption like, gosh, now what do we do? We thought Absalom was going to be the new king, but now he's dead. Uh, David was a good king. He helped us a lot against the Philistines. Uh, Should we bring him back? What, What are we to do? In verse 11, so King David sent Zadok and Abiathar the priests saying, speak to the elders of Judah, saying, why? Are you the last to bring the king back to his house, since the words of all Israel have come to the king to his very house? You are my brethren, you are my bone and my flesh. Why then are you the last to bring back the king? And say to Amasa, are you not my bone and my flesh? God do so to me and more also if you are not commander of the army before me continually in place of Joab. In verse 14, so he swayed the hearts of all the men of Judah, just as the heart of one man, so that they sent this word to the king, return, you and all your servants. Then the king returned and came to the Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal to go to meet the king, to escort the king across the Jordan. 
There is this uncertainty in the nation now after this civil war, after Absalom, who they thought was the new king, is dead. What about David? Will he even want to be our king anymore after we kind of threw in with Absalom? And so David speaks. Why are, you know, he, he persuaded them. And he even says, you know, uh, your flesh and my flesh, your, your family, I am your king. Why are you not calling me back to be your king? And it says that he swayed the hearts even uh, to the point as they were united as one man. He did not force himself back upon the people. He did not impose his will, but he appealed to them. He speaks to them. He sends the priests, Zadok and Abiathar. He sends messengers and begins to prompt them saying, hey, I'm, I'm your king. Call me back to, to reign, but he does not push or or force. And the people responded in unity as one man, the scripture says. Now, they seem kind of fickle as a group, but now they realize that David needs to come back and be their king. And the truth is, people are fickle. And I think in honesty, even our own hearts can be fickle at times. How many times have we set up a false king in our own heart? An Absalom who seems to offer so much, an Absalom who seems to be so appealing, he seems to be just, just what we really need, what we really want, and we, we let the loyalty of our heart drift away from the Lord, and we chase after other things, other priorities, other distractions, and usually those things, just as Absalom, they end badly, and then that king dies, we realize there's no fruit there. And now we're kind of confused. Will the Lord take me back? I need, I need the Lord back in my life. I need Jesus to be the King and Lord of my life again. And that's kind of, the, in a spiritual sense, what happens in our lives, and that's what was happening there in the kingdom. They threw in with the wrong king, and now they need to, come, they need to invite the, 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 the rightful king. And so we see David appealing to them. And I think that's the way the Lord works in our life as well. The Lord does not come and impose his lordship upon us. He does not demand our submission to him, but he appeals to us. David sent Zadok and Abiathar. How often has the Lord sent the Holy Spirit? And how often has the Lord sent his word after your heart saying, hey, why aren't you establishing me? again, as king and lord of your life. And that, that kind of gentle prodding of the spirit, the Lord sending to us, the Lord calling out to us to sway us back into fellowship with him. And often we do wait, just as the people did, until the false king is completely dead. But then they did return to the Lord unanimously as one man. And so the Lord wants our hearts to be unanimous for him too. God does not want a divided heart. God wants us to put the other king aside and come to him with wholeness, fullness, sincerity of heart. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. This picture of the Lord always knocking, prodding, appealing. How many times? I know in my own life, the Holy Spirit has been kind of just that, that voice in my heart. What are you doing? <laughs> what are you chasing? What, are you, what, what, what are your priorities? 
Come back. Come back and establish me again as the king and Lord of your life. And how often that happens, and yet we, we fight it, we resist it, but God is looking for us to come to him completely. I encourage you tonight, maybe, you know, maybe, you've, uh, maybe you've been chasing after a false king. Maybe there's some things you've been dabbling in or maybe some pursuits that, are, that you know in your heart are, are not what God, where God wants you. It's not him being first and foremost in your life. Maybe the Lord's knocking at the door and saying, hey, why don't you invite me back as king and Lord? Why don't you put these other things aside and, and let me rule and reign once again in your heart? And the Lord appeals to us. Let's look on. As, as the king now is on his way back, he comes to the Jordan. He's working his, his way back to Jerusalem. He's fled, been hiding out in the wilderness. And he's going to see a number of people on his way back in. The first one that comes to him is this character named Shimei. Look with me, verse 16. And Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, who was from ben- ben- Bahurim, hurried <laughs> and came down to the men of Judah to meet King David. I'll bet he was in a hurry. If you remember Shimei, when, when David was on his way out fleeing Jerusalem, you remember? Shimei was the one who cursed David all the way out of town. You're getting what you deserve, you lousy king. I'm a Benjamite. I'm, with, I'm from the family of Saul. He was a better king than you. You're getting what you deserve. You had it coming, kicking dirt, throwing rocks at him, spitting at him, carrying on. Now David is coming back to Jerusalem to be king again. Shimei hurries down to, to say, hey, let, let's read on. Uh, he comes, he, you know, it's like, uh-oh, time to get on the good side again. Verse 17, uh, there were a, th- uh, a thousand men of Benjamin with him, and Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, and his 15 sons and his 20 servants with him, and they went over the Jordan before the king. Then a ferry boat went across uh, to carry over the king's household and to do what he thought good. And now Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king when he had crossed the Jordan. And then he said to the king, do not let my Lord impute iniquity to me or remember what wrong your servant did on the day that my Lord the king left Jerusalem, that the king should take it to heart. Don't take it seriously, David. All that spitting and cursing and kicking dust at you, don't take that to heart. Verse 20, for I, your servant, know that I have sinned. Therefore, here I am, the first to come today of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet my Lord, the king. Now, he's, now you're my Lord, the king. But Abishai, the son of Zariah, answered and said, shall not Shimei be put to death for this because he cursed the Lord's anointed? He's the guy that wanted to kill Shimei when he was doing the cursing, and David stayed his hand. Verse 22, and David said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah, that you should be adversaries to me today? Shall any man be put to death today in Israel? For do I not know that today I am king over Israel? Therefore the king said to Shimei, you shall not die, and the king swore to him. So we see Shimei returning in repentance. Now, later on in, this, in the scriptures, we come into 1 Kings. 
Uh, David is going to warn his son Solomon as he takes over the kingdom. He's going to warn Solomon about Shimei. And in fact, uh, Solomon is going to restrict Shimei to a certain area in Jerusalem because Shimei was not a trustworthy character. And Shimei would break that restriction that Solomon had given him, even in mercy, even in trying to trying to work with Shimei, and then eventually Shimei brought his judgment upon himself. Shimei would be put to death eventually by Solomon's reign. But here in this instance, David is looking to extend mercy. And whether Shimei's repentance was sincere or not, it seems sincere, he seems humble. Whether it is or not, David certainly is merciful. David shows him mercy. And the reason David is able to show this mercy, I think the, the key is there in verse 22 where he says, for do I not know that today I am king over Israel? As if to say, does it really matter what this guy said or what he thinks? What matters most is what God is saying and what God thinks. And do I not know today that God is placing me back into the ministry of being king over his people, Israel. I don't need to punish this guy because he, of the things that he said. I don't need to have vengeance on him. I don't need to get even with him. My security is not in what men say or don't say. My security is in what God says, what God has established. God is the one that ultimately establishes our way. And David's confidence is in the Lord And so he's able to extend mercy. It does seem that Shimei's loyalty and submission is suspect. It seems a little self-serving. We can't be sure. Maybe it was from the heart, but boy, uh, he sure had a change of tune at a very interesting time. You wonder, would he come to repent and say he was sorry had not David been returning as the king? Was it just something in his conscience he felt bad and he realized he was wrong or was it because now he was worried about himself being, you know, receiving retribution from David? The point is repentance needs to be sincere. Repentance needs not to be for just some moment where we're trying to escape judgment or trying to escape consequence. Paul would warn of, a, of the sorrow of the world which leads to death versus the sorrow of true repentance, which leads to life. There is being a sorry for what you've done because you're caught and because the consequences are severe and you're sorry. That's one type of sorrow. There's another sorrow that realizes I've offended the Lord, I've sinned against God, and I need to get my heart right, whatever the consequences are. I want God's forgiveness and his mercy. David knew something about mercy. He was able to extend it because he himself had received it. David said this in Psalm 51, verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. David wrote that psalm after Nathan the prophet came to convict him about his sin of adultery with Bathsheba and the follow-up cover-up murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. Nathan the prophet came and David repented. And he realized that there was really nothing that he could do to undo what had been done, but that God was looking for a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. So 
Repentance needs to be sincere, but also there needs to be a confidence that a sincere, contrite heart will be received by the Lord and that God will forgive and God will not despise. God will not cut you off. God will not end his relationship with you. Many years ago, myself fell, in, fell away from the Lord. I've shared this before, a passage that spoke to me. I'll share it here again tonight. As I was coming back to the Lord in sincerity, there was this sense of shame in my heart. And, you know, you, you, you begin to wonder, Lord, do you even want me back? Would you even have me back? And in that moment of kind of condemnation and discouragement, my heart wanting the Lord's mercy and grace in my life, uh, he led me to this passage. It's out of uh, Jesus quoting in Matthew 12 and verse 20, but it's actually a quote from Isaiah. It says this, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. A bruised reed, maybe you've all been, we've all been bruised reeds before, but but. But God's promise is he won't break you off. Uh, A smoking flax, a dimly burning wick, he will not extinguish. God's heart is to extend mercy. And we see it even in David in this moment with Shimei. He extends mercy. And God, if your heart is sincere and your heart is contrite, God, you may be bruised, but God's not looking to break you. Your flame may be just barely smoking, barely uh, flickering, God's not looking to quench it out. God's looking to forgive. God's looking to restore. God wants to uh, restore relationship and fellowship with you. And he is merciful and gracious. He will not despise that broken and contrite heart. Let's read on. The next uh, encounter that David has on his way home to Jerusalem is Mephibosheth. We don't have to talk, you don't have to say that name real quick five times, but Mephibosheth, the king and Mephibosheth. Now, verse 24, now Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. And he had not cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he returned in peace. And so it was when he had come to Jerusalem to meet the king that the king said to him, why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? Now you remember Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son. Jonathan was one of Saul's sons. Jonathan and David were close friends. And uh, David had made promise to Jonathan because of their friendship, because of their love for each other, that he would be kind to Jonathan's offspring, even though Saul had sought to kill David, and you know the, there was this co- competition between the kingly line. David and Jonathan were friends, and Mephibosheth was one of Jonathan's sons that David had cared for. Mephibosheth was a crippled, as we'll find out here, and we read on. He was in an accident as a young child. Uh, he fell and uh, was not able. You know, he, his legs were lame. And when David fled out of Jerusalem because of Absalom pressuring and coming, um, Mephibosheth's servant, Ziba, came and David said, where's Mephibosheth? He's he's Jonathan's son. He's like, uh, he's somebody I've shown kindness to. I've extended mercy to. He's lived with me 
you know, in the, in the, in the, in the kingdom. And he said, oh, no, he's, he stayed back. He thinks maybe this will be an opportunity for him to have some advancement of his political ambitions. Ziba said this about Mephibosheth. So when Mephibosheth comes to David, as David's coming back, David says, Mephibosheth, where were you? Why did you abandon me? Why, why did you not go with me? Why were you not loyal to me after all you know, that I've shown you in, in kindness. Verse 26, and he answered, my Lord, O king, my servant, O king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go to the king because your servant is lame, he's crippled. And he has slandered your servant to my Lord, the king, but my Lord, the king is like the angel of God. Therefore, do what is good in your eyes. For all my father's house were but dead men before my lord the king. Yet you set your servant among those who eat at your own table. Therefore, what right have I still to cry out any more to the king? And so the king said to him, Why do you speak any more of your matters? I have said you and Ziba divide the land. Then Mephibosheth said to the king, Rather let him take it all. Inasmuch as my Lord the King has come back in peace to his own house. Mephibosheth tells David the, the story. I wanted to come. I wanted to ride out. I couldn't, I couldn't get to you. I needed help. And my servant, instead of saddling a donkey for me, he went out and he spoke this lie about me, saying that I, was, that I stayed behind because I wasn't loyal to you. And when, when Ziba, his servant, had come and said that, David said, okay, well, then I'll just give you all of Mephibosheth's lands and properties. But now that David's hearing the story, the true story, he said, okay, you guys need to split the property. It's not fair that I gave it all to Ziba. Mephibosheth, you were loyal. I just didn't realize it. And then Mephibosheth says, I, I don't care about the property. Let him have it all. I'm just grateful that you're back because all my, all my, my, because of my grandfather Saul, my whole family's line was despised, but you showed me mercy. You showed me grace, David. You brought me into your household and treated me like one of your own, and you let me eat at your table, and uh, I don't care about any possessions. I'm just glad that you're okay and coming back to the kingdom. Just kind of a real uh, nice gesture and, and kind of exchange. But something interesting, it says that Mephibosheth, during the time that David was out, he had not cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he returned in peace. Mephibosheth was willing to visibly mourn the loss of David. As a cripple, he could not escape or get out of town. So he, he was there with Absalom and his ruling class there in Jerusalem. But he stood in solidarity with David and visibly allowed himself to be seen as mourning the loss of King David. Mephibosheth showed more loyalty to David than had he fled with David. He stayed and left, kept his life in peril by standing for David even there uh, in Absalom's uh, rule in Jerusalem. So something to be said about this Mephibosheth. And I love his, his heart at the end. No, David, let him take it all. 
Inasmuch as my Lord, the king, has come back in peace to his own house. His main concern was for the king and the kingdom. Jesus said this in Matthew 6.31, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. There is a certain loyalty in Mephibosheth's heart towards David, and I I sense that the Lord would long for that kind of loyalty in our heart. Don't, you know, Mephibosheth says, David, I don't care about the lands that you can entrust to me. I just care about you and your, your well-being and your kingdom and your rule. And I think that's something that the Lord desires in our heart. Jesus saying, look, don't, don't chase after the things. God knows what you need. Chase after God. Chase after his kingdom. Let your heart be considered, uh, concerned with him first. He'll take care of the other details. And sometimes I believe that even as Christians, we get, we get distracted on the things that we need from God. And our pursuit of God is because we need from God. When really our hearts need to be just after God, knowing and trusting that he'll take care of the needs if we'll put him first. Mephibosheth. Beautiful expression of loyalty to David. Verse 31, let's move on. The king and Barzillai, the next encounter. Verse 31, and Barzillai, the Gileadite, came down from Rogulim and went across the Jordan with the king to escort him across the Jordan. Now, Barzillai was a very good, a very aged man, 80 years old. And he had provided the king with supplies while he stayed at Mahanaim, for he was a very rich man. And the king said to Barzillai, come across with me and I will provide for you while you are with me in Jerusalem. So when David fled, Barzillai was a man of resource and he heard that David and his men were fleeing in the wilderness and he brought sustenance, he brought help to David. He heard that the king had fled. He heard that David was on the run. He knew that he would need help. And so he brought and ministered to David and those who were with him. This was a man who had been loyal to David, a man who had helped him. And now that he hears David is returning, he he comes to greet him. He comes to welcome him. He comes to encourage him. And David says, look, Come with me. Come with me to the king to the kingdom. Come with me to the palace. You'll come come and enjoy. Uh, the kingdom with me. You were so good to me when I was in the wilderness. Let me repay you by showing you uh, the blessings of the kingdom. Come with me. But Bersilii, he's getting up in years. Verse 34, he said to the king, how long have I to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? I am today 80 years old. Can I discern between the good and bad? Can your servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Can I hear any longer the voice of singing men and singing women? Why then should your servant be a further burden to my lord the king? Your servant will go a little way across the Jordan with the king. And why should the king repay me with such a reward? Please let your servant turn back again that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and mother. But here is your servant Chimham. Some think possibly his son, we don't know. 
Let him cross over with my lord the king and do for him what seems good to you. And the king answered, Chimham shall cross over with me and I will do for him what seems good to you. Now whatever you request of me, I will do for you. Then all the people went over the Jordan and when the king had crossed over, the king kissed Barzillai and blessed him and he returned to his own place. Now the king went on to Gilgal and Chimham went on with him and all the people of Judah escorted the king and also half the people of Israel. Barzillai, a wealthy man, and David wants to bless him, but Barzillai, kind of a humble man too. He says, is king, listen, that, that's a great offer, but I, can't, I won't even be able to enjoy it the way, you'd hope, the way you hope I will. Let me just go back and live in peace. I'm just here to, to put my blessing on your return. I, I'm not here to get anything from you. I'm just here to, to let you know that I'm, I'm, I'm thankful. I'll cross over with you. I'll, I'll go a ways with you just to encourage you, but my heart is just to see you back in the kingdom. And he used his wealth to bless David and to help him in a time of need. And that came back to be a blessing on him and also possibly Chimham, perhaps his son. But there is a certain blessing here in the way Barzillai conducts himself. Even though he's up in years, he has ministry and he's a wealthy man and he uses his resource to help David to to do the work of the Lord. Paul would say this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. I see Barzillai as fulfilling that that passage. He's a wealthy man, but he used it to be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, investing in eternal things by coming alongside and helping David. And David, the king, of course, a type of Christ, our king, wanting to reward and bless him. So to use our resources, our skills, our time, to be a blessing to others, to be useful to the Lord. We see Barzillai, a wonderful example. Verse 41, and we'll finish here the chapter, verse 41 through 43, we see the king and the rest of the nation now. Just then, all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, Why have our brethren, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king, his household, and all David's men with him across the Jordan? So all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, because the king is a close relative of ours, why then are you angry over this matter? Have we ever eaten at the king's expense, or has he given us any gift? And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah and said, We have ten shares in the king, therefore we also have more right to David than you. Why then do you despise us? We were not the first to advise, were we not the first to advise bringing back our king? Yet the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. This just gives us a picture of uh, David coming back and now, you know, they were, they, they, 
They ran him out when they embraced Absalom, and now they're fighting over who's king, who has the most right to have David as their king. And again, it just kind of shows the fickleness of the people. Judah were the southern tribes. David was from the tribe of Judah. And Judah and Benjamin had kind of come together as the two southern tribes. And Israel, the 10 northern tribes, were the balance of the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, we'll see in future studies that there's going to be a civil war between the 10 and the 2. But you can see the friction of it already here. So the 10 tribes of Israel, they come and say, hey, hey, why, why aren't we part of this welcoming the king party back? And Judas, uh, J- the Judah tribe says, well, hey, he's, our, he's closer to us than you. He's, a, he's from our tribe. Well, we're 10 tribes of Israel. He's king over all Israel. We have more share in him than else. So they, they kind of dispute. But uh, in any case, it shows that all the hearts of, of Israel are now wanting David back. And so David comes back and begins to reign again as king. People are fickle, and uh, these same ones that that threw in with Absalom are now, of course, wanting David back. But the key for David was what he said earlier in this chapter, do I not know that today I am king over Israel? Not because of, of what men are saying or not saying, but because I know that God has placed me in this. I know that God has set me in this place. And you know, any type of ministry, any type of spiritual work that you're going to set your heart to do, you're going to have to know that, that it's God that has called you and set you to do it. There are going to be some who praise you, and there are going to be some who curse you. There are going to be some who are so happy with you in what you're doing for the Lord, and there are going to be some that are so frustrated with you for your service and work to the, to the Lord. And sometimes it's the same people. <laughs> they're happy with you once, and now they're not so happy with you. And somehow you've got to recognize that, you know, I'm serving the Lord and I'm not doing it to to be seen of man or to be acknowledged of man. My service is unto the Lord. The Lord is the one that calls. The Lord is the one that gifts. The Lord is the one that empowers your life for ministry and service to him. And all of us are called to ministry. All of us are called in service to the Lord. It may not manifest in a formal ministry within the church, it may, but all of us are called to be witnesses for Christ, to be serving the Lord, to be engaged in the kingdom work, and it has to be not for the praise or of men, and, and, we, and you can't get discouraged at, at the despair of men. You've got to, you know, set your heart to serve the Lord. You know, when Jeremiah started his ministry, the Lord told him straight up, he said, you know, they're not going to listen to you. (laughs) You're going to be a prophet to the nations and no one's going to listen to you. But I'm going to make your head like, I'm going to make your head like a, like a stone. You're going to be, I'm going to give you the strength to preach and tell, say what I tell you to say. And uh, you're going to do it for me, not for them. And so that's the way ministry is. And David, I think, has has that heart. He knows this is what God has for me. And uh, the people are fickle. They come, they go, they rise, they fall. But God establishes your way. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we do thank you tonight for these passages that 
come to us from the life of David. And Lord, what a, what a journey this man lived. What a life. What a, what a story. God, uh, it's, it's an encouragement to see that through it all, the ups and the downs, the good, the bad, that you remained faithful. You remained faithful to him. And as he turned his heart to you, Lord, you fulfilled the purpose and ministry and calling that you had for him. And God, that's our heart tonight. Our lives, too, are something of a journey. There are ups and downs. There is trial and trouble along the way. But, Lord, you you remain faithful. And, Father, we want our hearts to be always looking to you and confident in you. That you have, what you have for us, Lord, the good work that you've begun in us, you will finish and you will complete it. And that our trust and confidence are in you. And as we're bowing here tonight in prayer, and just we'll, we'll close in a moment here on the song of worship, I do want to give an opportunity for anyone here tonight. You may need to respond to the Lord. I guess just a couple things. Firstly, of course, anyone here that needs to just turn to the Lord and invite Jesus Christ into their life. Maybe you're here tonight and and you don't have a personal relationship with the Lord. I'd love to pray with you if you want to invite Christ into your life, receive his mercy and forgiveness. Or maybe you're here tonight and, and you've got a false king on the throne. You've got an Absalom that you're kind of running with. You've got a, a, a new king that you're fancied after. You've got something else that you're pursuing. And you know that, that that king is not going to live, not going to survive. You know that you really need to bring Jesus back as king in your life. A rededication, a recommitment, if you will. I'd like to pray for you. If you're here tonight, you want to receive Christ for the first time, or you need to re reestablish Jesus as the King and Lord of your life, I'd ask you just to raise your hand and I'll pray for you. Anybody here tonight, you need the Lord or you need to come back to the Lord? God bless you. I see one hand there. Another hand in the very back there. God bless you. Over on my right as well. Lord bless you too. You know, the false kings, the Absaloms, they, they, they offer so, they seem to offer so much. They seem so promising, but they always disappoint. They always end in hurt and pain. And Jesus, he sends word. Invite me back. Bring me back. I'll give you rest. I'll forgive you. I'll cleanse you. Anyone else? I'm going to pray for these. God bless you. Before I pray, any other hands? Any other hearts? You need this prayer. So Lord, for these who have responded to you tonight, I pray that you would, you would meet them with your mercy and with your grace. We're reminded tonight, Lord, that a, that a broken and a contrite heart 
you will not despise. That a bruised reed you will not break. That a dimly burning wick you will not extinguish. You are a God of long-suffering and mercy. And Lord, for the heart that will respond tonight and these who have responded by raising their hands, I pray that they would simply come with sincerity, humility, and say, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, come and be the King and Lord of my life. I need you on the throne. I need you as the Lord of my heart. I have chased after other things that are, that are vanity. I want you at the center. I want to live for you. I want you in my life. Come, give mercy, and give strength in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. To view and listen to more sermons, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.